Well, hey, good morning. I know that was a little bit of a sobering intro to this morning's message after just proclaiming just the goodness of God through the resurrection. Amen? So let's, let's get a little excited here, okay? So let's, when I count to three, let's just give God one more big shout for Easter Sunday. Come on, one, two, three. Woo! There we go. There we go. I like it. Well, hey, if I haven't uh, met you yet, my name is Omar. I am the lead pastor here. Me and my wife, Misty, uh, get to lead this amazing congregation of people. So if you are a guest here, your first time here, or maybe it's your first time in a long time, welcome to Grace Church. We count it an honor for you to join us on this Easter Sunday, this, this celebration. I like to call it the greatest day in history, right? Whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, you cannot deny the impact and the significance of this day in the world, right? I mean, it has changed lives. And I think it's kind of ironic that, that we are celebrating something that's empty, right? Because we know that God turned the empty tomb into something that could fill our lives with significance, with purpose, and with power. And that's why we celebrate. So, so I'm so glad that we get to come together and remember what Jesus did for us. And we get to come together and we get to celebrate that the full story is not that he just died for our sins, but that he rose again, that he's alive today. How many is a, is, can say I'm a witness to the resurrection Christ in my life? All right, come on, we got a room full of people that can say that, that can testify that he is risen. So I'm going to say he is risen, and you say he is risen and dead. He is risen. risen Come on. That's good, good news. Well, hey, let's begin this morning's time of getting into the word with a word of prayer. Let's, Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together on such a wonderful day, the day that we get to proclaim, God, that you are risen. God, I pray that as we get into the word, God, I pray that, that we look at it, we receive it, God, with an open heart, an open mind. God, I believe right now and throughout this time together already, you've been speaking. So I pray, God, that you would help limit our distractions so that we can be attentive to the great message that you're trying to speak to every person in this room. We believe that you're here, you are with us, and we ask you to have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So you saw the intro where it talked about this, this, this emptiness, this, this feeling of empty. We were talking about the empty tomb. And I was thinking about this week about the frustrations at times where things are empty. Like we all understand, right? Like when you get into your car, you turn it on and you realize that your gas tank is what? Empty. Nothing more frustrating than that, right? It's no good, no bueno. Or how about when you, um, you know, if, if, so I'm a, I'm a serial nighttime time guy, right? I like cereal at night. And I can, I can get home or I can have this craving and I open up the cupboard and I get that, that cereal and, and, and the more sugar, the better, <laughs> All right? Just something about that after 10 o'clock, right? And I get that bowl and I dump that cereal in there and I reach in my refrigerator for that jug of milk. If it's there at my house, it's usually pretty low or on empty, right? Not good. Or how about something recently, like you have to get something at the grocery store, right? Really important ingredient for what you're going to cook for dinner. And you go there, you turn the aisle where it's usually at, and you look at the shelf and what? It's empty. Nothing more frustrating than that. We've all experienced those moments. 
Well, today I want to talk about something beyond those simple irritations. I, I think that in life we have these moments where the emptiness can kind of leak into our soul. I call them disappointments. You know, disappointments in life that leave us a bit empty or leave us with this feeling of feeling empty inside. And we laugh about these minor things because we know that we can get over them. But how about the ones that we can't get over? You know, not the minors, but the majors. Like that job that you were pursuing, that you were working hard towards, and you hear the news that you didn't get it. How about trying to achieve that goal, and you do everything that you can in your ability and your power, and at the end, it is unmet. It's a disappointment that sneaks in, doesn't it? How about that failing class or maybe getting that notice that you no longer have a job? The disappointment in that, coming home and having to talk to your family about the situation. I mean, those are major disappointments in life that maybe uh, we've all experienced at some level. Those hit hard. Those sink in deep. I think times when we don't or not able to get past those disappointments, what happens is they start to wrap our identity around them. Where no longer are they a disappointing moment, but we start to think that maybe we are a disappointment. I know I'm not the only one that's had to walk through seasons that way. When disappointment comes our way, when we're faced with something like that, it sinks deep. Like I said, it wraps around our identity. How about relational disappointments? Those are, those are the real tough ones. When someone that you trust lets you down. When the person that you believed in goes back on their word. Or maybe you have to walk through betrayal. That's the hard one. How about when you feel disappointed with God? You know, I know as a believer, we would never admit this out loud, but maybe deep inside you come to it time in your life where you feel like you've prayed the prayers and you did all the things that you felt like you were supposed to do, but at the end, you're still asking this question, God, where are you? Or God, where were you? And I think that maybe some of us today, we haven't been in church in a long time because we're still kind of holding a grudge. We don't want to let go of our faith, but there's some tension in us that says, you know, I don't know if I can be engaged. I don't know if I can go all in. And you start to distance yourself from the God who's wooing you, the one who's calling you, the one who's, who's telling you that I'm still here, but for whatever reason, because of the disappointment we felt, we've kept ourselves at arm's length when it comes to God. Now, I know that maybe there's some of us here today or somebody like that watching online, and I just want to tell you, I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. And I just feel like from the Spirit of God to tell you this morning that God wants you to know that he is still with you, that he's not left you. Maybe you felt like giving up, but let me tell you, God has not given up on you. That's the God that we serve, that he's the God who continues to be there, even when we might turn our back, or, or, or maybe we don't fully turn our back, but maybe we're kind of giving him the side, <laughs> saying, God, I'm kind of feeling in between. Can we be honest this morning? This is a real church. We talk about real stuff here if this is your first time here. Because these are the tensions that many of us feel because we are faced with disappointment at times. And because of that, we might feel this sense of emptiness, not feeling as full of life, full of joy, full of, of love that, that we proclaim we have because of the Bible. 
because of what the word says, because of what Christ brought. Maybe something we've experienced long ago, but then today it doesn't feel like it's evident in our lives, and it shows. You know, there's an old saying that the Apostle Paul told young Pastor Timothy to encourage him in times where it was tough. I believe that young Timothy was faced with many disappointments, trying to pastor this church in this, in this community and all the things he was facing that Paul mentions. But he, he tells him, he says, there's just a saying that is so good to tell each other when you come together. And part of that saying said this in 2 Timothy 2.13. He says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. I mean, you believe that God is faithful and he is true. That whether we feel it or not, he is still faithful to us in every way. And that's really what the Easter story means to me, is that God is faithful to us because I could see the life of Jesus. I could see what he's done for us and how he fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled the work. And I could say, wow, God is faithful. God is faithful to bring me such a wonderful salvation. Let's talk about this disappointment. See, the definition of disappointment is this, is sadness and displeasure caused by non-fulfillment of one's hopes and expectations. It's interesting to me that the root word for disappointment is appointment. What's an appointment? Appointment is when you make an agreement with someone on a specific time frame that something will happen at a certain time in a certain place. So I think it's interesting that disappointment is simply meaning failing to keep that appointment. (laughs) See, often we make these appointments in our lives, both mentally, emotionally, should I say spiritually, that things are supposed to happen at a certain time. We make these agreements in our minds that, that, that if I just get to this stage in life, if I just have this position in life, if I just get to this place or that place or in this time frame, when I turn this age or that age or in these many years, this should happen. This, this should come to pass. And when it doesn't, it's a major blow to our hearts. It's a d- disappointment. A lot of times we put these things on other people or we put them on ourselves. And when those things don't come through and there's no one to blame, oftentimes we have this tendency to then blame God. Say, well, God, why didn't this happen? God, why weren't you there for me the way that I thought you would be? And we get rattled and we get shook up. It's like, God, I had an appointment with you. (laughs) What happened? Like nobody likes to get stood up. Anybody been stood up before? Don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> it hurts. Feels weird. You're standing there waiting. No one's coming. Like I said, we make these appointments in our hearts time and time again, and times we felt these moments of disappointment. You might say, well, Pastor Roman, what are you talking about? What, 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 what does this all have to do with Easter? Well, I think that when we read the Easter story, when we recount what happened on that first Easter, I think many of us will look at that and we get to, we get to look at it. We're blessed and privileged to look at it on this side of history, right? We know that though Jesus was crucified and how gruesome and hard that is to understand and to read through, we know, we know three days later, he rises from the grave. We know that. So we can kind of look through it with that lens. But I want to challenge you this morning to understand this, that we put ourselves in that original moment, that, that first moment, and understand that Easter started out in disappointment. 
Every one of Jesus' disciples, every one of those people that decided to leave their nets and their boats and their jobs and, and start following this rabbi named Jesus, gave everything up for him for three and a half years. Every single one of them woke up Easter morning with major disappointment. Think back about the moments of the crucifixion where they stood there, they watched him be crucified. And it was in that moment that they just saw that all their hopes, all their expectations were now falling apart. See, they had appointments in their hearts about Jesus. They had an appointment that sooner or later, Jesus was going to knock King Herod off his throne and sit in that palace. Some of them were making plans. They had appointments on where they would sit <laughs> in that palace. They had an appointment with Jesus that sooner or later he would cast out and, rule and push out all the Roman soldiers and bring back their homeland. They had an appointment for Jesus. At the very least, they had this expectation that this life and adventure that they experienced with Jesus, that it wouldn't be over so soon. You know, they walked with him. They traveled with him. They saw him heal blind eyes. They, they heard him preach these phenomenal messages. He brought truth. He, he was doing phenomenal things, and they were at his side for three years, listening and watching and learning from Jesus. They never thought that it would end the way it ended, but the good news, friends, this morning is that it wasn't the end. In fact, it was just the beginning. But you got to remember, at the time, they didn't know. And so they're sitting in that disappointment. And this morning, I wanted us to look at one of Jesus' disciples who was sitting in the middle of their disappointment, and we see that Jesus met them there. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, the last chapter. It's been a while since you've opened up your Bible. But those that, you know, have the technology to tap in there, Matthew 28, verse 1. We're going to look at one of his disciples. It's a, it's a woman. Come on. Some of you are like, Jesus had women disciples? Yes, he did. A woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Verse 1. It says, After Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, went to look at the tomb. Now, again, try to put yourselves in these women's shoes or sandals, right? And just imagine that it wasn't just, it was like less than 48 hours that they saw Jesus crucified on a cross. I mean, the Bible tells us that they were, they were at the foot of the cross. They saw it all. The Bible also tells us that when, when, when Joseph came, and there was this man, a disciple named Joseph, which was a rich man, and it says that he uh, asked the authorities if he could take Jesus' body down, and, and he put Jesus in his own tomb, his own family tomb. It was likely that these women were there to assist, so they probably had seen Jesus' dead body. They probably touched it. They probably helped Joseph wrap his body in grave clothes and went to the tomb. It says that they did go to the tomb because they knew where it was at. And so they had to be there, and they had to know that what they saw and how they touched Jesus and how they were with Jesus for those hours of preparing him to go into the tomb, they had to know that no one could have survived that. So they had no expectation that anything would have changed. 
from when they left. They expected that they would see Jesus' dead body in the same place that they left it. And so they're there, and they're heading back to the tomb on that first Sunday morning. See, they knew that they didn't have time because of the Sabbath to prepare, bo- prepare Jesus' body well. So, so I think for their last, what they thought, their final act of devotion and worship towards Jesus, they said, let us give him a proper Jewish burial. So they're, they're eager to get up and to go and to do that duty. And so they're walking out. And they're in disappointment. And they're getting closer And I believe that it's in that moment that disappointment finally settled into their hearts. Friends, I think that many of us in this room have felt and experienced a morning like that. Oftentimes it comes from the loss of a loved one. Or when this major disappointment blow hits us and we come to this place where it starts to settle in, when the shock and awe is is starting to wear off and we come to this reality that it wasn't just a bad dream that I had. This is real. This is really happening. Now what? What am I going to do? I don't know if you've ever had to walk that walk, but it is one of the most difficult walks to walk out in your life. To sit there and go, now what? The reality really sets in. And I think that if we can't and aren't able to work through that time, I think that it's in those moments that that disappointment sinks deep and turns into discouragement and at times can turn into depression. I could imagine it was a slow and quiet walk to the tomb that morning. And if you look at that moment alone, you can imagine that maybe that moment, that disappointment, killed off any joy that they had. The joy that they carried with them when they met Jesus. And when he gave them truth and gave them purpose in their life and they started to follow him and they got excited about the kingdom of God every time he preached about it and taught them about it. And all of a sudden in that moment, it all just started to unravel. And they're wondering, what's next? You know, I think some of us have had those moments and we've not been able to recover. I think a lot of times they've put marks in our soul where we carry them in life. You know, there's an old saying that says this, blessed is who expects nothing for they shall never be disappointed. (laughs) I mean, we kind of laugh and chuckle at that and that's a horrible philosophy in life. But the fact of the matter is, is that I know plenty of people who carry this attitude where they've decided to suppress any type of hope or any expectation of life because they don't want to be let down, and so they guard themselves. Here's a better quote for you. It's from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. He says, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. See, there's a time in our lives where we have to maybe wrestle down these disappointments and we may have to accept them for what they are and they are a reality in our life. But the fact of the matter is is that in Christ, they don't have to be a reality for the rest of our lives, right? Romans 5.5, the apostle Paul says, and this hope, what is this hope? What is the hope he's talking about? He's talking about the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrected power through Christ Jesus. He says we have this hope, this eternal hope, this true hope, because of what Jesus did. It's in that hope of resurrection. He says that when we place our hope in Christ, that hope will not disappoint, for we know, and the original language here, know, means we are convinced of. 
how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us, to fill our hearts with his love. Hmm. So that tells me that the empty tomb, right? The empty tomb fills us up with this hope inside of us. Because it's through the resurrection that we see God's greatest display of how God can turn triumph or tragedy into triumph. It's the greatest display of God's love for humanity is in the story of the cross and the resurrection. But see, we understand that sometimes it's just hard to grasp that. We know this in our minds, but how do we receive it in our hearts? Because life is tough, right? We have moments. I'm glad the Bible doesn't shy away from those moments. I know that we have these disappointments. Sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen and broken world. And people will let us down. Situations will come. Challenges will happen. That's why we need a Savior. Thank God we have a Savior who heals and restores. Amen? Because we need him in those times where it is because it's a fallen and broken world. And yet we have the Savior to hold on to. The Savior to give us hope in those times. But I also think that there may be times where I found that maybe my disappointment was actually a blessing. Anybody have one of those testimonies? Oh, I'm so glad that there's been times in my life where I prayed this prayer, and I'm so glad that God didn't answer it the way I thought he should answer it. Right? I'm so glad that there's times where I look at some disappointing moments, and, and it was disguised. It was a blessing in disguise. And later on, I can look back. Do you have the hindsight to look back in your life and see some moments where you're just like, wow, that was a major disappointment at the time. But man, thank God. <laughs> thank God that God was able to turn that around or show me that I'm a better version of myself because of that. Anybody have that testimony? Right? It tells me that the empty tomb means that we can receive power to persevere through moments of disappointment because the resurrection proves that not even death could stop the will of God. So I can persevere, I can hold on to hope, I can believe that God has a better day coming for me, that he is who he says he is. And because Jesus overcame, I can overcome. Come on, who can say that? Because Jesus overcame, I can overcome, right? Sometimes you just got to say that in faith. Oftentimes you have to say that in faith, especially in moments like this. And so Jesus is showing us that through his crucifixion that he is able to bring triumph over tragedy. So let's look and see where God meets Mary in the middle of this, because that's what I love about God, is that God will meet you in the middle of this all. He's not a God who's far off. He's not a God who just lets you figure it out on your own, gave you instructions and said, okay, slaps you on the back and says, go figure it out. But he's also the God that comes, who returns, who meets us where we're at, even in the middle, because there's always the in-between, right? From, from tragedy to triumph, that's the hardest to get through. It's the middle, it's the in-between, and yet we serve a God who meets us in the middle. So let's look at the same story in a different account. John chapter 20. This is after Mary and the women notice that God, Jesus' body is not there. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb. It's almost like she just can't believe it. She says, man, it's not, it's not bad enough that they killed him, but now they took his body so that his disciples cannot continue to care for him. It says that she's looked in, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they have put him. At this time, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was a gardener, she said, Sir, you have, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, just one word. He said, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means master and teacher. I think it's interesting that she didn't know who she was talking to. She didn't know, because why? Because she was searching for answers. She was so caught up in the doing. She was so caught up in her grief. She was so caught up in the disappointment. And she just felt like she's just got to do something. And all she can think in her mind is that I just got to know where Jesus is, is because I just, I just don't know how I can live. And I feel so lost without him. And it's interesting to me that there's this dialogue that's happening between them. Until he says her name. And once he said her name, she knew it was Jesus. You might wonder, well, what's so significant about that? What's the message within the message? Because I think God layers his words so well. There's always a message within the message. Well, I think to fully kind of understand and grasp what's happening here is you got to know a little bit about Mary's background. You know, Mary, what the Bible says is that Mary was somebody who lived a life being tormented and possessed by seven demonic spirits before Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can imagine what her life may have been like pre-Jesus. I bet it's a life full of regrets, pain, suffering. Not only that, but I could imagine that in that culture, she was marginalized. She was a person looked to as no, having no value, no dignity, no respect, and no honor. But then it says that Jesus showed up in her life. And Jesus came, and he not only set her free from what she experienced, but Jesus did something more. He not only set her free, but he also invited her in. He brought her in to be a follower, to be a disciple. And let me tell you that in this time and in this culture, for a prominent rabbi to bring somebody in like her with that reputation, for it being a woman, that was, that was pretty significant. And yet Jesus brought her in. Jesus showed her that he loved her. Jesus gave her that respect, gave her that dignity when no one else would. You know, I kind of wonder if part of the fact of what she was mourning was that she probably wondered, man, nobody knows me like Jesus. Nobody looks at me like Jesus looked at me. Everybody else wrote me off. Everybody else saw my shortcomings. Everyone else saw my failures. Everybody saw the things that I did that I'm ashamed of, but yet not Jesus. Jesus knew me. He knew me, and he loved me. And now she's standing at the empty tomb in her greatest disappointment, and she's left there. But thank God that Jesus showed up there. <laughs> Jesus could have been anywhere else. Think about that. I mean, he resurrected from the grave, right? He had things to do. I mean, he was ready to go. He could have went anywhere. He could have saw anyone. But yet the first person that he encounters after the resurrection is Mary. Think about that. That's pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure Jesus was tired of being in that grave, right? I'm sure he wanted to stretch his resurrected legs a little bit. But he returned back to the grave. 
Why? Because he had an appointment with a woman named Mary. See, his appointment to meet her and her disappointment was so that he could resurrect hope back into her life. He wanted to remind her that he still had the power to resurrect. Just like that first meeting where he resurrected her hope, he was there to resurrect her hope again. Even in her greatest disappointment, even in our greatest failures, even in our most challenging times in our life, Jesus is here and his presence can resurrect that hope back into your life. And how has he proved that? By defeating our greatest foes, death, sin, and the grave. And that's what it's about. And he said all this, and he expressed this to her, and she understood all this, all in the moment that he said her name. Think about that. I think that there's, there's a lot of meaning behind when somebody says your name, right? I mean, especially when they know you pretty well, right? When somebody says your name, like my wife, when she says my name, <laughs> I know what she means behind that. She could say it with, as a term of endearment. She could say it in a frustrating voice. She could say it in a command. <laughs> but I sense, I know what she's talking about when she says my name. There's a lot of meaning behind that. But when Jesus said her name, it resurrected her dignity. It resurrected her value. It resurrected the longing she had deep inside to be loved, to be accepted. I think there's many of us today that... It, when we think about somebody saying our name, we think about God saying our name, we're, we're thinking it's coming from a, a voice of, of anger or maybe a voice of disappointment, disappointed God. Maybe we've labeled ourselves or considered ourselves unlovable, unforgivable. And today Jesus wants to tell you that he looks past all those labels that you've put on yourself of the type of person you are or what other people think you are or who you are. And Jesus looks right into your soul. He looks to you and he says he knows you. He knows everything about you. And when he calls your name, he's calling it with love. He's calling it with joy. He's calling it with acceptance because he sees you. He knows what breaks your heart. And he still calls you by name and he still draws you in and he says he loves you. know, growing up, I really struggled with this part of the gospel. You know, growing up, I always felt like an outsider. I really felt like I fit in, never felt like I was truly accepted in any type of group. There's many reasons for that, but I really believe when I look back, it really started at the age of 12 when my mom gave me the news that when I was young, my biological dad and my mom, they split up because one of the reasons was because my dad didn't think I was his child. And I remember that sticking in my mind that I was unwanted. I struggled with rejection all my life because of that moment of disappointment. So I struggled with trying to fit in and when people tried to love me and show kindness to me. I was skeptical because I just thought nobody wants me. Nobody really wants me. They're just being nice to me. I, I never really trusted people's kindness. Though they tried to love me, the truth of the matter is I didn't love myself because I just saw 
that rejection. I only saw, I couldn't see myself past that moment. And so what that did is that created in me to be this really bitter and angry person. Always keeping relationships at arm's length, never really trusting, never really feeling at home, never really feeling accepted anywhere I went. And I struggled for many, many years. Until the one day that I sensed God tell me, I love you. Now, Christians told me all the time that God loves me. <laughs> and I never really believed it until the one day I heard it from, from the Lord. See, my thought of God's love for me was always measured by what I did. And let me tell you at the time, I didn't do anything that honored God. And I thought to these people that would tell me that God loves me, that his love is everlasting, his love is unconditional. When I heard that, I thought, well, you don't even know what I think. <laughs> you don't know how my brain works. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. If you did, you wouldn't tell me that God loves me. <laughs> and yet, there was a moment in my life where all the things that I've heard, all of a sudden, it was not just something that someone told me, it's not just something that I read, not just something that, that I wanted to believe in, but it was coupled with the presence of God, and it was in that moment that I heard God say, Omar, Laura, I love you. And I remember how crazy that was for me to receive. Now, I didn't hear it in this big audible voice. There wasn't this loudspeaker from heaven. But how I recognize that it was the voice of God is because it sunk deep into my heart, the part that I was trying to protect because I didn't want to put anybody in that space that would ever hurt me and I couldn't trust anybody. But it was in that depth of my soul that I heard God's voice tell me, I love you. I love you. I love you. See, I believe that in Mary's moment with Jesus, that it was those three words, I love you, that came with that one word when he called out her name. I love you. Mary, I believe that God is still calling. I believe that God is still saying names. Do you? I believe God is calling names today. I believe that maybe you think that like, oh, hey, he's just making this up. He's just sharing this. No, I believe you've heard God call your name. I believe there's people in this room that you are just waiting, you're asking God, you're saying, God, where are you? And he's calling your name and it's in that, when he calls your name, he's calling you up and he's calling you out. And he's saying, Cindy, you have purpose. Cindy, I love you. Tommy, I believe that the thing inside of you is me. Do you believe? How many of you today are sensing the calling of God in your life, that he's calling your name? You long to hear him, and here he is today, and that voice that you hear is not coming from anywhere else. It's coming from deep within you, because that's where God will meet you. It's his spirit that is moving. It's his spirit that brought you here. It's his spirit that's been drawing you here to, to click online, to, to come to a place like this on Easter Sunday. And you've heard all these stories before. You came to service like this before. But somehow this is different. Somehow he's reaching you. He's speaking to you. And my op and this opportunity, guess what? You have an appointment with Jesus today. <laughs> and he's ready to meet you in that place that you kept covered. He's ready to meet you in a place where you feel like, man, I, I'm, this is the 
hardest season of my life, and yet he wants to meet you. He made an appointment. He came back to show you that he loves you, that he came back for you, that he cares for you, that he wants to resurrect, he wants to restore something in you, something that you're longing, and it's something different probably for everyone here. I'm going to wrap up with this last verse here. It's Ephesians 1.4. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know, God chose you. He's already chosen you. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son, Jesus. You see what it's saying there? The, that he called you, that he, he planned for you, he, he wanted you and still wants you. No matter what your past brings in, no matter what mental battles that you go through, no matter what things that you feel like you can't overcome, Jesus still loves you. Jesus still calls you. Jesus still wants to use you. Jesus still wants to bring you in. He's got a place for you in his family. And that's what this moment's about. So if that's you this morning, and I know you know who you are. I'm not the type of person that tries to draw people in who don't want to be. I'm here to give you an opportunity. I'm here to have you declare today that I want to surrender my life to Jesus, that I want to accept this truth of what he's done for me at the cross, that I want to be covered by the, by the blood of Jesus. I want to be looked as somebody that's washed and clean when I stand before God, when I'm in God's presence. And if that's you this morning, I want you to be able to respond today. I want you to find this new life. I want him to resurrect your heart, your spirit. Come alive today for the very first time. If that's you, I want you to be ready. I want you to respond, and I'm going to ask you to come forward. I know that's scary, especially if you're new here or you haven't, you know, never done anything like this, but there's a reason. I think that when we step out physically, it changes something spiritually. There's something that happens inside of us when we respond. See, I could just say this prayer, and you can say it privately, and you can walk out of here. But I guarantee you're going to have a little bit of a doubt. Did I really do that? Did I really, was that really? But I believe that if you step out in faith physically, and you step forward, you say, you know, no, there's no doubt. <laughs> and that God will meet you in that moment that you step out. And that you'll sense this presence of God come over your life. And he says that he would renew our spirit, he would renew our heart. That there is a transformation that occurs. All of us are here that, that profess our faith in Jesus can attest that there is a change that occurs. There's a transforming power that Jesus brings through his spirit. And you could receive that today. You could find that out today. So if I can have us all stand to our feet as we close out this morning. And I just want to pray for those that feel in their heart that the Lord is calling their name. The Lord is calling their name. That, this is the God appointment <laughs> that is here to meet you. So that's you. I, I want you to just come out, come forward. Come forward. Be bold. Respond. Say, Jesus, this is, this is it. This is, I'm all yours. 
Just like those early disciples, when Jesus called them, they left the old and they stepped into the new. This could be your new day. Easter, resurrection, this could all be real to you. You could walk out of here with a new heart. So if that's you, just, just come on forward. Come up to the front, front row if you feel like you don't want to come out here. I promise the spotlight's not going to be on you. It's not my intention to, to embarrass anyone. But I just, I just felt so strongly this week that there was going to be an opportunity for you, that God has already been calling you. So, why, so just come forward, and, and we're going to pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, there's some friends. Christians should be praying right now. Christians should be believing right now in faith. Yeah, here at, here at Grace Church, we believe that no one stands alone. Right? You could have been walking with you being in church a long time. See, being in church doesn't make you a Christian, right? It's making this decision. This moment of repentance, this moment of saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I am going to follow you all the days of my life. If that's what makes you a Christian. So if that's you right now, come on, no one stands alone here at Grace. So maybe there's some of our Grace family that can come stand alongside somebody, put a hand on their shoulder and just pray with them and let them know that they're not alone in this decision because you've made this decision as well. And now you're standing with them and praying over them. And friends that are up here that you are praying right now, this is your moment. You're just responding to what the Spirit is already doing. You don't have to do the work. Jesus has already done it. All you do is receive it right now in faith. Yes, I love this. And maybe there's some of us here where we just felt distant. I'm not saying you messed up, but I'm saying you've made yourself distant. You, at this time, you need to rededicate your life back to following Jesus 100%. You've turned your back, you've turned your side, but like today, this morning, you're recognizing your need for him. And in the middle of disappointment, Jesus is meeting here right now. And if that's you, you can come up and just rededicate your life back to him. Say, Jesus, there's no going back. Here it is. I'm all yours. I'm tired of fighting it. I'm tired of this path and that path. There's even in the balcony. Just come forward. We got time. And then maybe for the rest of us, as we... Maybe you're struggling with some disappointments this past year, this past two years, or maybe this week. And I want you to just respond, and you don't have to move forward, but I want you, as the worship team kind of leads us into this last song, as we read these words, as we pray these prayers, as we get into the space again of worship, as these friends here are making this decision, letting go of the old and stepping into the new, can we just worship God? Can we just have a moment with him personally and use these words to be a proclamation from our hearts through our lives? Can we do that? Amen. Let me just pray for them, and then I'll let you guys lead us into this last song. Father, I thank you for my friends today, God, who stepped forward in faith. You said, God, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. God, I just believe that in this moment is a critical moment. It's a new, a new life moment for these ones. God, I thank you, Lord God, that they've come to this place, that they were here to, to hear this message, this message of love, a message of acceptance, that you brought them here to 
because you love them that you called them to this place. So I pray a covering over this moment for them. Let it be a special, unique moment that they will never forget for the rest of their lives. That as they step in, not only do they find new life, not only do they find new strength, new joy, a new purpose, but they also discover, God, that they got a new family surrounding them, a community that they can walk with as they learn and grow in following after you. So we pray that over them in Jesus' name.